In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. On this Holy Thursday in our prayer, we can focus on what happens after the Last Supper, after you, Lord, institute the Eucharist in that upper room in Jerusalem. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and agitated. Then he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Lord, it's so good for us to see you need the presence of your disciples, these apostles, in your prayer. You want them there with you. Remain here. Stay awake with me. Our Lord tells them, after telling them something quite striking, I am deeply grieved even to death. My soul is sorrowful even unto death. For all of us who have suffered depression, moments of deeper sadness that at times seems almost unbearable, like it will overwhelm us. We have someone who understands us in Jesus. Jesus in the first person has lived this great moment of sadness, of anxiety. I am deeply grieved even to death. And so when we go through our bouts of depression, sadness, frustration, worry. In Jesus, we have someone who gets it. Right? He gets it. He understands us because he's been there too. And Jesus, just like you want the apostles to be near you in your prayer, to stay awake and watch with you, so too on this Holy Thursday, on this Holy Thursday night especially, after the Last Supper, the church has the tradition the tradition of remaining vigilant, watching with Jesus, accompanying him in his agony, visiting those monuments where the Blessed Sacrament is reserved after Mass on Holy Thursday. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away for the second time and prayed, My father, 
If this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. There are so many lessons, Lord, we can learn from this time of prayer. From this prayer in the, in the garden, the agony in the garden. And the first thing, the first thing we can learn from our Lord is simply that he prays. The first lesson to learn from our Lord's time of prayer is that he does this time of prayer. And so many times that is where we go wrong. We don't pray enough. We don't stick diligently enough to our prayer schedule. We're not disciplined enough. We're not ordered enough. We don't want it enough, basically. If anyone had an excuse to skip his prayer, it would have been our Lord Jesus Christ. He was God. Why does God need to pray? As man, he was sinless. He was, he was closer to God at any moment more than anyone else in the world has ever been to him. And yet our Lord prays and prays in this most difficult time. He doesn't make an excuse for himself. I'm sinless. I don't need to pray to God. I am God. I don't need to pray to God. He doesn't let the moment be an excuse for him. We can think, well, Tomorrow's a really difficult day, to say the least. I'm going to have to go through a lot in just a few hours or a few minutes. I'm going to be arrested and tried. I have this whole day before me of suffering, doing the greatest thing ever, redeeming the world. So perhaps I shouldn't pray now. Perhaps I should just rest, take it easy, maybe get a little sleep to rest up. Or perhaps I should stay with the apostles and, and strengthen them more, comfort them more. Give them a last few words of encouragement and of wisdom, enlightenment, before it's time to suffer. He also could have thought, well, what's praying going to do at this point? If anything, maybe it'll make it worse. I'm already nervous. I'm already afraid of the suffering of this fate that's waiting me tonight, waiting me tomorrow. If I stop and I'm quiet and recollected, it's going to become overwhelming. It's going to make it worse. Perhaps I should just distract myself for a little bit, take my mind off of it. But no, our Lord prays. He knows he, knows he needs to pray before taking up his cross. Another lesson we learn from you, Lord, in your prayer is perseverance. Our Lord sticks to it. He prays once, twice, three times with the same words in the agony in the garden. How many times, Lord, by contrast, I give up too easily when my prayer gets a little dry or a little distracted or when it's not up to my own standards of what my prayer should be like. I give up. I cut my time of prayer short. Or how many times, Lord, when, when you don't answer my prayer, I stop asking, I stop requesting. And you, Lord, give us this example. You ask once, twice, three times before you get some confirmation from the Father. We learn from our Lord to do our prayer. We learn from our Lord 
to persevere in our prayer. And we also learn from you, Lord, the content of our prayer, what our prayer should look like. What should my prayer look like? Especially when I'm going through a difficult time, especially when I pray about the challenges in my life. Well, Jesus' prayer is a model. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. He prays the first time. And the second time, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. What an incredible sincerity of Jesus. What an incredible authenticity we see here in his prayer. He basically is asking the Father to come up with another plan. This is the plan from all eternity to redeem the world. And on the night before it's supposed to happen, the night that it has already started, that it's supposed to start, Jesus has enough confidence in his Father to ask him this, My Father, if it's possible, let's come up with plan B. This is more than I thought it would be. This is harder than I thought it would be. I'm sadder and more sorrowful and more afraid than I thought I could ever be. And so if it's possible, let this cup pass. An amazing request, an amazing request. I mean, this is what he came to do. Just a few weeks before, our Lord would say things like, I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and would that it were enkindled. And there's a baptism with which I must be baptized, and how I am constrained until it's accomplished. And he's talking there precisely about the passion, precisely about his death. The fire that he lights on the earth is the fire that he lights in his death on the cross and in his resurrection. The baptism with which he's baptized is the baptism of his blood on the cross in the passion. And now, and now, right in this, like the night before the Super Bowl, he comes to the head coach and says, well, that defense, I don't know, they look awfully tough. Look like they might hurt me real bad. Maybe, maybe you know, we put in the backup quarterback. Or maybe we should forfeit. What a tremendous sincerity. What a tremendous confidence. If you had a little bit less confidence, right? Wouldn't he be worried that the father might be disappointed? That the father might be hurt by this backing out of the plan or wanting to back out of the plan? A great lesson for us. Lord, help me to show myself to you as I am in my prayer. If I'm a sinner, Lord, I come to you as a sinner. And we're all sinners. If I'm afraid, Lord, I come to you afraid. And we're all afraid at times. If I'm sad and depressed, Lord, forlorn, I come to you sad and depressed and forlorn. And we'll all be sad at times. If there's some problem in my life, some lack of love, love that I'm receiving or love that I I fail to give, well, I come to you with that. Whatever my problem is, Lord, I bring it to you. I show myself to you as I am. And this is what you did with your father. If this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. 
And we also learn that our Lord's trust increases with the second part of his petition. He doesn't just trust the Father by saying, hey, this is, <laughs> this is what I want with my human nature. Get me out of here. This is too much. The sin that I'm becoming, the sin that I'm taking on to atone for it, is too much. It hurts too much. It's too sad. He doesn't stay there. He moves on to, but your will be done. Yet not what I want, but what you want. If it cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And so he's sincere in the moment of, of, of letting the Father know his true state. And that takes a lot of trust. And then he increases the trust by saying, okay, it, your plan, let's stick to the original plan, even though this is so hard. And we too, Lord, want to do the same thing. To make our prayer not just about our will, our plan, what we would prefer, but to go seeking God's will, to go seeking your will for us, Lord. And so many times we come to God just with our own agenda, just with our own version of how we think, how we think things should go or how we think things should be, how we think we should be or others should be or a situation should turn out. And we fixate on it. And we insist on it. And we lose our hope and we lose our peace because we say, where is God? He's not answering this prayer. Things are not going the way that I want them to go. And we lack the trust and the humility to say, well, perhaps God has a different plan and perhaps, just perhaps, God's plan is better. It might be more painful because we have to grow. It might be more painful because we have to suffer in that plan. But God's plan is better. And Jesus does this. Not what I want, but what you want. So Lord, when we go to our prayer, we follow your example. First of all, we do it no matter what. If we feel like we're tired, if, we're like, if we feel like it's going to help or not help. If we feel like some other use of our time might be better. We always make time for our prayer. And then once there, Lord, we're honest with you. Once there, Lord, we tell you things precisely as we see them, with a blunt honesty, just like you were honest with the Father in this moment. But then we don't insist on our own way. We have to move to a greater trust and say, well, if not that, Lord, then your will, whatever you want, show it to me, be it done. Then he came the last time to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Get up, let us be going. We see here, Lord, that you're strengthened by the prayer. In another gospel passage, the Holy Spirit tells us that an angel came and comforted him at the end of the agony of the garden. To comfort is to strengthen. And in this, the Gospel of Matthew, we see our Lord's, our Lord's attitude of strength. Get up, let us be going. See, the hour is at hand. 
My betrayer's at hand. Get up. Let's be going. Let's face this problem. Let's let's do what we do what needs to be done. And this is evidence that our Lord has been strengthened by that time of prayer. Yes, it was very difficult to do. Perhaps it was even more difficult than the cross. Some theologians and saints speculate that the greatest suffering of our Lord took place precisely in the agony, more than on the cross. Because in the agony, he goes through spiritually what he manifests physically on the cross. In the agony spiritually, he feels all the weight of all the evil that's been done by man. And he takes that on himself. He becomes sin for our sake. And that spiritual, that moral suffering of identifying himself with sin was perhaps the greatest suffering that he did. Such that he says here, I am deeply grieved even to death. He feels like he's going to die from what he's experiencing before anyone lays a hand on him. Another great lesson we should come out of our prayer with resolutions, with a resolve to act, with a resolve to follow God's plan. Excited to meet the challenge, no matter how difficult, how hard it is. We go into our prayer weak and we come out of our prayer strengthened. And Jesus tells us, Jesus tells us, if anyone would be my disciple, it's a verse we've considered many times. If anyone would be my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Well, if we're going to take up a daily cross... Perhaps, too, we need a daily agony in the garden. We need a daily time in which we reckon with God's will. Let ourselves be strengthened to do God's will. If we're going to take up that daily cross, we, too, like our Lord, need our daily time of prayer to prepare ourselves, to say yes to it, to be strengthened by by His plan and by His presence. Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Sit here while I go over there and pray. Remain here and stay awake with me. Our Lord in his agony, in his passion, wants the accompaniment of his disciples. He doesn't get much of it. (laughs) They keep... They keep falling asleep and then they all flee when he's arrested, except in the end, St. John comes back with Our Lady. St. John's the only apostle who's there when our Lord dies on the cross. But it's very clear from this passage that our Lord counts on their presence, counts on their prayer, expects it, wants it. And Lord, you want our prayer too. The Catechism of the Catholic Church has a beautiful point It considers our Lord being thirsty at the well of Sychar when he asked that woman for a drink, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And the Catechism comments, whether we realize it or not, prayer is the encounter of God's thirst with ours. God thirsts that we may thirst for him. Prayer is the encounter of God's thirst with ours. God thirsts for our attention. 
God desires our accompaniment. God wants our affection, wants our devotion. And our soul wants God. Our hearts are restless, Lord, until they rest in you. My soul thirsts for the living God. And if we don't pray, right, if we don't pray, it's not just, well, I won't be as good of a practicing Catholic or I won't get what I want. You probably won't get what you want anyway unless your desires are are changed. Or it's bad luck not to pray. Bad things are going to happen. No, that's, that's all that's perhaps not even true besides the point. If we don't pray, God remains thirsty, incomplete, desirous for us. We disappoint him as the disciples disappointed him. So you cannot stay awake with me one hour after all I've done for you, after all I've taught you, after all the miracles you've seen me do and that some of them I've done on your behalf for you. You can't find time to stay with me to pray. I need you. I need your prayer. I need your attention. And if we don't pray, not only does God's thirst remain unslaked, not only do we let God down, who wants our attention, who wants our heart, but we let ourselves down as well. There will always be something missing. Lord, help me to do my prayer. Help me to be sincere in my prayer. Help me to make my prayer not just about what I want, but about what you want. Help me to leave my prayer strengthened, strengthened by your presence, strengthened by the conviction that what you want is all that I need to do, and that's all that you're going to help me to do is whatever you want me to do or undergo. Help me, Lord, to realize that you need my prayer in a mysterious way. You're waiting for me in my prayer. And I need my prayer, too. St. Teresa of Avila, in her famous work, The Way of Perfection, talks about this, talks about how important it is to be dedicated to our, our daily routine of prayer. How important it is never to give up on prayer. And this is advice she's giving to those who are starting their prayer life, who are starting to devote themselves to a routine, especially a mental prayer. As I say, it is most important, all important indeed, that they should begin well by making an earnest and most determined resolve. Not to halt until they reach their goal. Whatever may come, whatever may happen to them, however hard they may have to labor, whoever may complain of them, whether they reach their goal or die on the way or have no heart to confront the trials which they meet, whether the very world dissolves before them. Yet again and again, people will say, it is dangerous. So-and-so was lost through doing this. Someone else got into wrong ways. Some other person who was always praying fell just the same. It is bad for virtue. It is not meant for women. It may lead them into delusions. They would do better to stick to their spinning. Right? St. Teresa is saying, no matter what happens, no matter what anyone says, no matter what we say to ourselves, never, ever, ever give up on your life of prayer. Always do your mental prayer. 
not to halt until they reach their goal, whatever may come, whatever may happen to them, however hard they may have to labor, whoever may complain of them. Whether they reach their goal or die on the road or have no heart to confront the trials which they meet, whether the very world dissolves before them. That they begin with this determined determination never to give up on prayer. And this is what we see in our Lord. This is what we see in the agony in the garden. A determined determination to pray, to keep going, to keep doing God's will. And the world, his world, is dissolving before him. And he doesn't have the heart to do it. My soul is sorrowful even to death. And he sweats blood, cries out to God, if it's possible, let this pass from me. He wrestles with God's will in his prayer. But he keeps praying, he keeps going back to that prayer until there's some sort of interior confirmation, interior strengthening. The angel comes to strengthen him and our Lord says, rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. It's time. So we too, Lord, will never have this experience of strengthening. We'll never have this experience of giving ourselves to you. We'll never have this experience of trust unless we practice it, unless we do it in our prayer first. So many times we expect the great benefits of prayer, the great benefits of trusting in God without going through the necessary steps of actually doing it, right? of doing it in our prayer and then doing it in our life with with God's will as it comes to us. St. Peter, who had to learn this, right? St. Peter says, I will die with you, Lord. Just a few hours before he runs away and denies our Lord three times. St. Peter says, I'll never leave you. And then a little while later, as we just saw, he's falling asleep. Jesus says, watch with, watch with me. And he comes back, you couldn't watch one hour? Peter, who said, I'll go and I'll die with you, Lord. I'll never leave you. Well, when it comes to prayer, he leaves our Lord. He falls asleep. He can't do it. And Peter's greatly humbled by that night. And he weeps bitter tears when our Lord turns and sees him after his denials. And he's bitterly ashamed and he's upset that our Lord keeps asking him, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? A few days after the resurrection. And Peter's exasperated says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And our Lord's giving him a chance to make up for those three denials with three acts of love, three acts of love, sorrow, contrition. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Well, Peter had to be humbled to get to the point where he could really love our Lord, not with his pride, not with his own ability, but with God's mercy and God's grace and God's forgiveness. And Peter, later in his life, gives great advice for prayer. All of you must clothe yourselves with humility in your dealings with one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This was Peter's experience. Lord, I'll never, Lord, I'll never leave you. I'll die with you. Right? That came from his pride. He wasn't ready for that. He wasn't ready for that because he wasn't leading on God's grace to do it. He didn't realize his own weakness. Or Lord, you'll never wash my feet. And, and Christ had to oppose him. God forbid, Lord, this should happen to you. That you go and suffer in this way. And Christ has to oppose him and say, get behind me, Satan. 
God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Peter experienced God opposing him in his pride, but also after he was humbled, experienced the great grace that God gave to him to be the first pope and eventually to be martyred. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, Peter goes on. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Discipline yourselves. Keep alert. What an amazing piece of advice from Peter who lived this. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you in due time. Peter weeps over his desertion of our Lord. Peter gets frustrated when our Lord keeps asking him, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And he experiences that in due time our Lord exalts him and he performs miracles. We see many of them in the Acts of the Apostles. And then Peter tells us to do what Jesus did in the agony in the garden. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares about you. And that's a great model for our prayer. Perhaps we can do that when we're more anxious, when we're more worried, to articulate, really to articulate one by one our worries in our mental prayer and to cast them at our Lord. Perhaps to imagine that, right? Rolling them up into a ball and literally throwing them at God's feet or throwing them into the the infinite ocean of love, which is God. Or putting them in a box and wrapping them up and giving giving them to God as a gift. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares about you. Discipline yourselves. Keep alert. Peter gives the advice to us that Jesus gave him in the in the garden. Stay awake, watch, pray. Lord, we thank you for your passion that you start tonight in the agony in the garden and that you complete tomorrow on Good Friday on the cross. We ask you, Lord, give us the grace to do for you what the apostles failed to do that we can watch and pray and not leave you alone in this time of your agony. And because it's hard for us, we go to Our Lady. If we just stay close to her, we'll stay close to you. And when we can't watch you because it's too hard for us to see you suffer, we can go to her and just grab her hand and grab onto her. If we stay close to Our Lady during the Passion, We won't be far from you, our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect, my Immaculate Mother. St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.